This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello, this is episode 162 of the Broadcast Podcast. In this episode, we'll bring you an interview with Dr. Harvey Quiani, conducted by Andy McCulloch and Gavin Bittasar, where they talk to Dr. Quiani uh, about the Multicultural Kingdom, the Unreached Conference that's coming up in June, Mission, George Floyd, Diversity and African Christianity. Here is the interview. Great, wonderful. Well, it's a huge uh, privilege today to have Harvey Quiani uh, with us. Uh, so we're going to take some time to talk to Harvey about a whole load of stuff. Uh, and so, Harvey, do you just want to take a moment to introduce yourself? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Gavin, for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, yes, I'm Harvey Quiani. I come from Malawi. I live in Liverpool, where I teach at Liverpool Hope University. And, and in these conversations, we reflect uh, a bit more about um, the, the time working in Europe, working in North, North America, and, and just how that speaks to us today uh, in the context of our Christianity. So I look forward to this conversation. Yeah, we're looking forward to it too. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And I've got, um, I've got Gavin with me uh, today. We're going to be asking the questions. Gav, do you just want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi Andy, hi Harvey, it's great to be here. Uh, my name's Gavin, I'm married to Sarah, we've got two kids. We live in the London Borough of Hillingdon, uh, where I am recently uh, a, a new member of staff at Crown Church here in Hillingdon, having been in the civil service for the last uh, 14 years, and I am absolutely looking forward to our conversation together. And I've got to say, back in the day, Gav used to live with us when he was a student. He was the best lodger. He was the best lodger anyone could ever have. <laughs> I paid Andy to say that. <laughs> there you go. Great. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Gavin, over to you. Yeah, Harvey. Um, thank you again for for joining us. I just wanted to kick off by saying that how how's it going? How are you? How's the family? How are you guys coping in lockdown? And I, I'm also just keen to hear your perspective for how how your your family your friends your community back home in Malawi are also coping with the COVID-19 and and its impact on all of our lives yeah thank you Gavin um just yesterday uh I have I have two young girls uh the older one is seven the younger one is five Mm. um they've, they've been able to get some days to to go to school over, over the lockdown and so we've done some homeschooling and just yesterday one of the teachers sent a message saying five more days of homeschooling so we're looking forward to that yeah we're looking forward to March 8th when they can go back to school we mm. have fairly coped well um over over the past few weeks um and and, and, and the past year we m- my wife is a nurse so she she's uh, she's, she's always been a key worker uh, for for me working at the university, we we just qualified to be key workers this lockdown sure. around. But um, she has always gone to work, uh, taken good care of herself, um, make sure that um, we we are safe back home as well. Uh, and the girls understand that mom is a key worker, so they 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 have adapted well to being taken care of by their father, and that has worked out fairly well. Our community here in Liverpool, um, the, the, the Malawian community is quite, quite, quite huge in Liverpool, uh, right. and we've been really touched by what's happening in in Malawi at the moment with the coronavirus. I think the South African strain has has reached Malawi. It reached Malawi fairly early on, and and over the past month, I think January was the worst. Uh, February has been a bit better, but January we lost a lot of um, key high-profile people in the country. Uh, and it seems like now we 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 are getting over that. The, the figures are beginning to come down again. So it's looking hopeful. I've been I've been really <laughs> concerned watching my family in in Malawi. My parents mm. are fairly old now, uh, brothers and sisters. I'm 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 oldest of seven kids, uh, and and so just watching all of them try to 
cope with the situation. It's been quite scary. Yeah. But it looks like we are on the other side of that now. So we keep on praying. Yeah, yeah we do. It's so difficult, isn't it, when you're far away from family at this time, you can't travel, you've got elderly parents and other Yeah, totally understand that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Sure. Um, Harvey, you've really kindly agreed to be uh, the keynote speaker at our uh, Unreached Conference online 25th and 26th of June. Um, really excited about you uh, coming and sharing with us. What can we expect? Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, I really look forward to this. Um, I'm excited about um, movements like like New Frontiers. Um, I, I'm ordained in the vineyard, so we, we, we are like in the same family. Yeah. And we, in these movements and many others like us, uh, are just beginning to figure out what it means to be global movements. Uh, and that really plays into just the conversation, the wider conversation around what Christianity, that um, now Christianity is accessible in every country in the world. Uh, they are Christians, they are followers of Christ in every country in the world. Uh, and, and that means, of course, Christianity looks a lot different than it did 50 years ago. Um, our, our theological conversations look different from what they, they did 50 years ago. And all of these things, uh, really have to inform our conversations today. How do we yeah. stay um, faithful and relevant movements of, of people following the spirit in the world um, when uh, Christianity is changing, right? So my, 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 my talk will be around, around these issues. What does it mean to be, to be following Christ uh, as part of movements, movements like ours uh, in a world where God is moving everywhere and, and yeah. God is equipping and, and, and sending people around the world uh, it, it, at a faster pace probably than ever before. And how, how do we stay faithful? How do we, how, how do we follow God in, in his work in the world today? And that's really what, what, what my talk is going to be about. Amazing. It's, we're going to have you speaking on the Friday night and on the Saturday morning. And um, yeah, I just think it's going to be amazing. So people, you need to book in. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, um, and, and maybe just 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 an addition to, to yeah. that. Uh, of course, I mean, we have two sessions. I think that the, the, the next session uh, then turns around and looks at what does that mean for us here in Britain today, right? That, um, of course, as I said, Christians uh, come in all skin colors and all languages uh, and I mean, it's almost possible today to, to claim that uh, what, what John sees in, in Revelations for Revelation 7, that people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue uh, stand before the throne. We are almost getting to that picture now. And, and London and the UK becomes a very good place to begin to wrestle with the questions of what does that look like? Uh, what does it mean for us and Britain is, is 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 far ahead of many countries in 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 dealing with multicultural uh, communities living together, and multicultural Christians. So we we also get to reflect on what does that multicultural nature of Christianity here in Britain mean for us? How do we respond to that as faithful followers of Christ? Amazing, amazing, and um. Can we talk about uh, Multicultural Kingdom? So a yes. wonderful book came out last year. You must be really pleased with how it's being received. Um, why, why write the book? I mean, I, I want to ask a couple of questions from the book, but why, why write this book? What was on your heart? I, I left Malawi in 2000, uh, worked in, in Switzerland, Germany, Austria for a bit. And, and early on in, in those years, I realized that two things were happening, especially in Switzerland. That's the first place I landed. Christianity in Switzerland was, was disappearing. Uh, it, it was almost non-existent in St. Gallen where I lived. But there were pockets of African churches in, in St. Gallen that were thriving. So it was this, this life, uh, small African congregations in, uh, in sort of a desert when nobody is paying attention to Christianity. And that got me thinking. It, it made me think about two things. One, 
what what's happening in the rest of the world that's not happening in Europe? Why is Europe going in in a totally different direction from everybody's? Uh, I was coming from Malawi at a time of a great revival in Malawi, where Christianity was exploding, churches were mushrooming everywhere, and find myself in in Switzerland where uh, Christianity was almost non-existent. So I, I I thought about that, but then I started also beginning to pay attention to the issues of um, why is it these African churches in Europe are not connecting with European Christians um, in the in the cities where they're located, uh, and and so I became aware of just the segregated nature of Christianity, um, and and. After, after three years in, in Central Europe, I came to the UK, I saw the same story happening again. African churches are growing in large numbers, um, while many British churches are struggling. I went to the US uh, and, and that was worse. Uh, Christians did not talk to one another across, across racial lines. White Christians hung out with other white Christians, black Christians with other black Christians. Latino Christians with other Latino Christians. It's so so the question of segregation within the body of Christ became became a big question for me. Uh, now while looking and exploring these issues, I also become aware that now Christianity is a worldwide religion. Uh, and that really as we speak today, there are more Christians in Africa than there are in Europe. I tell my students uh, my, uh, here in Liverpool that uh, white Christians are outnumbered. There are more black Christians in the world than there are white Christians. Uh, and yet uh, we, we, still, we still worship in segregated communities. Um, now, I, I, I do believe that when we come together from our different cultures, um, talk about God, how how we understand God, how God is working in our different different cultures, different 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 understandings of different theologies. It helps us understand God better. Uh, that God has given a revelation of Himself to to people around the world that can only become full if if we get all those images together and create a mosaic of of who God is like. And, and really that's what I try to do in Matakashi Kingdom, to, to make an argument that what Christianity is here, there are more Christians out there than there are in Europe. God is working. The spirit of God is doing things in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia. Uh, but in, in all of that doing, um, we understand that the body of Christ is only one body. Christ doesn't have two bodies. It's, it's just one body. We are all just members of that one body. And as members of that one body, we all need one another. I, I really dwell on Ephesians 4.16, where he says, this one body is glued together by that which every member supplies. So the, the health of the body, the life of the body depends on the exchange between the members of the body. Mm. And, and, and then, so, um, I mean, we can talk about that at a congregational level, we can talk about it at a denominational level, we can talk about it at a regional level. But at the end of the day, what God has given to Africa is not just for the African church, it's for the world church. I think, uh, that's, what, I think that's what I really appreciate about the book, because you can read books on world Christianity, sure. um, or you can read books about like a practical pastor's book on diversifying your church congregation. Sure. But I think the way that you hold those two themes together, I've not seen that done before. I feel it's a challenge to white majority churches to say, you need to listen uh, diaspora communities are a gift from God sure. it, it's you know but I think there's also a challenge to black majority churches to say almost the same things like you've come from Africa and yet you're just being an African church you, you've you've almost got a an, an impulse to evangelize the white community to re-evangelize Europe so it it feels like it's challenging both, both of sides. those communities yeah that's right yes and and that's intentional I think you cannot make that argument without challenging both sides. It has to cut both ways. The, the, the African church has something to give, but it also has something to receive. And that is true for all of us. European mm -hmm. churches have something to give, but they also have something to receive. 
um, same with Asians. And, and that's really how the body will work. That's, that's what the, makes the body function, the, the exchange. But, uh, the body is kept together by that which every joint supplies. And so this exchange of giving and receiving from one another, that's where the life is. That's where the spirit is working. And Harvey, there's just this lovely, um, one of the chapters, you pivot on a Malawian proverb, um, a guest comes with a sharp penknife. Um, and so just the value of outside perspective, objective perspective coming in. Can, can you just, I, I love that. Can you open that up for us a little bit? So th th this is a proverb in Malawi uh, uh, and with many African cultures, proverbs are designed to pass on wisdom uh, from generation to generation in, in oral cultures in ways that will capture the gist of the issue uh, without going into details of you know, what's being said. Everybody can take it and understand it and apply it uh, in the way that's, that's relevant for them. So one of the most popular proverbs is, is this one that, that, that argues that for a community that's, that's uh, everybody's looking at, at the problem from, from the community's eyes, you almost need an outsider's perspective to come in and help you look at this thing from a different angle. And, and so um, to, 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 to teach our kids, to, to, to help our culture process this, we, we say that uh, a, a stranger, a, a foreigner comes with, with a sharp pen knife. Uh, and, and pen knives back in the day were, were like the multi-purpose uh, tool that you go around with, right? Not necessarily to, 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 to cause harm to people, but to, you know, disentangle that, that, the god that's uh, caught in the thicket to, to, to help somebody fix their bike on, on the way. It, it, it's just a mad purpose too. And, and, and so we, we say that um, a, a foreigner, a stranger comes with, a, with this mad purpose too that is able to solve our issues in ways that we cannot see because we are, we are embedded in them. And, and I find that very helpful. I think that uh, that's exactly what, what I'm arguing for in, 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 in calling for Christians to be able to receive from one another, but also give one another. I, I come bearing a sharp knife that can, that can help solve some of the issues going on here. But there are also some, so many people here that, that go to Malawi with their own sharp pen knives that, that can help resolve some of the issues in Malawi. It's just this, this divine exchange that God has ordained that allows us to move forward as a people. Yeah, it's an incredible expression of cultural humility, that proverb, and it's an incredible um, kind of answer to nationalist narratives as well. Really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it, it, you, you, you're right. It's, we, we're seeing um, the return of nationalism in, in ways that we did not expect. Uh, where the wars are going up uh, and, and people are quite really not open to strangers and, and migrants. But uh, I, we, we do know, we do know even, even in sociological research that uh, migrants bring a lot of good to societies, right? So they come with their own pain, sharp pain knives that, that help societies move forward. So Harvey, I'm I'm just I'm just um, pondering on what you were saying, uh, and obviously the questions Andy was drawing out from the book, and I, I do wonder what we can learn uh, within the New Frontiers family of churches from that. Now, just to give you a, a bit of perspective, New Frontiers started as a movement in the south coast of England around uh, 45, nearly 50 years ago, and has grown to encompass much of the UK, and then has gone global. And uh, I think it's fair to say in the last uh, sort of five to 10 years, it's become a multi-centric movement. Um, so we have groups of churches in, in parts of East Africa, uh, in, in, in other countries like Mexico, in the US and across Europe as well. So it is multi-centered, but how, how can we learn from some of the lessons that you are, you are bringing forward in your book? The challenge for Western movements uh, like New Frontiers, the Vineyard, uh, and, and many others, is, is simply to get mostly Westerners uh, to a position, to, 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 to a place where they can relate with the rest of the world as equals, really, as, mm. as people who 
have something to give, but also something to receive. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we, we, this is 2021. Um, we, we live with a history of, that goes back centuries. That's, that's put the center of the world in, in the West here. Uh, where where the, the West goes out and dominates the rest of the world, uh, the, the, the West goes out and teaches the rest of the world. The, the West is doing all these things. And, and I really feel like we, we are at a place where God has raised up people around the world, right? That, um, that can also speak into this. It's world Christianity. Uh, these are world movements. And so as world movements, we, we need to come to God as, as, as equals, as people mm. who God is working with around the world. God, God is, does not have favorites, right? Uh, and, and really, I, I actually think, I believe that God has done this intentionally. It's, it's the, <laughs> and that's what makes Christianity Christianity, that um, no one culture has it all. No one people have, have it all. He has given the gifts to people, um, and, and we see this in Romans 12. He's given the gifts according to the measure of, of, of their grace, scattered them around the world, right? Nobody has all the gifts. The gifts really uh, are supposed to draw us together, right? Because one has this, one has that, one has that, and together we can save God and save the world better. And 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 so movements, movements like ours, yes, um, God has given gifts around the world for the betterment of the movement. And, and really, uh, how do we get to a place where um, we shift away from the West does all the teaching and the West does all the leading to, to mm -hmm. really come to the table uh, with the West expecting to receive from the rest, while the, of course, the rest also expects to receive from the West. We, we, we engage in this together, we do it together. God has ordained it that way. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 the main thing that I, I, I would say to. So I mean, I mean, with that in mind, what advice would you give to those from the UK who would who who do want to go to the nations or do feel in their hearts they're called to the nations, particularly in the light of some of the uh, colonial neo-colonial uh, baggage that, that that comes often often with. Um, with that kind of westernized approach to uh, taking faith or, or helping other nations, what, what advice would you give? You're going out there not to solve all the problems. You are going to, to, to work with people there uh, as they solve their own problems. Uh, and so forget the, the white uh, savior mentality. That's the time for that is gone. One, two, um, you don't have all the answers. Probably you don't even you, you don't even know the questions that are being asked where you're going. Yeah. So go there, learn the questions. You don't you don't necessarily have to answer all of them. You, all you bring is a small a small part of the answers, and and be humble enough to learn from 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 the people that are there. So you go listening. You you don't go talking. Uh, I I I, I have. Have a, I had a good friend, Professor John Beatty uh, of Kenya, quite known African theologian. Um, towards the end of his life, we, we struck a very good relationship. He, he visited me here a few times. And, and I had him speak to my friends in Oxford, I think in 2016. And he said something that stuck with me. He said, um, a cow, and this is a proverb, right? He said, a cow is born with ears, horns grow later. Right. And, and really, and what he's saying there is, you start with listening. After you have listened, then you can begin to offer your solutions. You don't go in with, uh, with, uh, with the horns, the strength of uh, um, 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 the one who's going to solve all these issues. You go in with ears, listen. And after you've listened, then you can, you can begin to figure out, okay, so how do we as a community begin to deal with this situation. So yeah, you're not going in as a white savior mm -hmm. and, and you're not going in uh, and, and to, to include my, my fellow black um, 
and Asian and Latin American Westerners. You're not going in as a Western savior. You, you, you're going in really um, just to take part in what's going on there um, and try and shift the conversations in the ways that you can. But you listen first, you, you, you stay humble. Um, it's not about strength. It's not about colonialism. We, we've, we've gone way beyond that era. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, absolutely, Harvey. And I wonder if I can be cheeky, really cheeky, and sure. just, yes. just, just flip it a bit. And you know, earlier on in our in our in our conversation um, before the interview, you talked about you know cross cultural mission being from the nations to the nations. Uh, I'm part of a church that has we have many African brothers and sisters fr from, uh, from from Malawi, from Zimbabwe, from you know Nigeria, Ghana. Um, we have a rich diversity of, of brothers and sisters from from Africa, and they're perhaps used to uh, doing doing Christianity, doing mission, doing evangelism in an African context, and they've, they're now in Europe, and uh, it's very different for them and I know many of them would be watching this um, and so what, what advice would you give to our African brothers and sisters who are you know have come over some of them recently and are in the UK? The challenge for us as Africans working outside Africa is and uh, doing missions work outside Africa is that for most of us the understanding of mission that we have is what happened in Africa 200 years ago. Right, so it's still very much colonial. It, 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 it requires people to change their names, change their cultures in order to be Christians. That's what the Europeans did in Africa. And, and that's the understanding that we take uh, when, we, when, when we travel. Now, um, that's difficult because I, I, as I argue, mission and colonialism should not necessarily work together. It, it, I, I, I do hope that Europeans will understand this one day, that mission <laughs> and colonialism uh, cannot be justified, All right? And, and so for us as Africans working in Europe and, and an invitation to Europeans as well as part of this conversation, the question is, how do we begin to engage in mission that is truly um, divorced from colonialism? Um, for the Africans, part, part of the challenge as well is they come in, they come in from Africa where Christianity is growing, right? Uh, you don't really have to, to, to break a sweat to grow a church in, in most African cities. They find themselves in, in, in the UK. Um, first, they realize that uh, it's difficult to reach out to non-African non people. It's right. difficult to reach out to white British folk. Uh, and second, uh, they, they realize that um, even when they try, their, their Christianity comes with a certain culture that struggles to translate so that it can, it can be open to everybody. And so, and, and, and the evangelism strategies and tools that, that work in Africa don't work in the UK. So again, for them, the, 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 the invitation is sit down and learn. Yeah. Learn, learn, learn the culture, learn what works here. Don't just assume that some, because something worked in Nairobi, it's going to work in London. It doesn't work that way. That's, mm -hmm. not, that's not mission. Come here and, and, and be humble enough to sit down and learn what, what, how do we reach out to, to Westerners? And, and that's a bigger question than just a question for the Africans, because I think course, yeah. after, after 20 years of working in Europe and, and, and the US, I, I do think that even Europeans haven't figured out how to evangelize other Europeans, right? And so we, we need to talk to one another. And this is, this is a good place where our wisdoms, our giftings, our anointings, if I can use that word, can, can be put to good use if we come together and say, our British friends tell us, this is what British culture is like, this is what British people will respond to. And mm -hmm. the Africans will say, okay, we, we bring in the prayer and the anointing. And, and together we can, we can figure out how to engage this culture, right? But it, 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 will, take, it will take us working together. The, the mission field of, of Europe 
uh, is too big for just Europeans. Sure. Uh, plus, um, it it needs it needs resources, even theological resources from from the rest of the world. So we have to work together to figure out how to reach Europeans. That's fantastic. That's really, really helpful, Harvey. Harvey, I've been reading your essay um, this week, uh, Mission After George Floyd on White Supremacy, Colonialism and World Christianity. And um, I guess the first thing that struck me was just how close you were to that. I mean, you led a church in between you know, Minneapolis and St. Yeah, Paul, snap sure, bang in the sure. middle. I, I think in the article you, you said you actually knew people who knew George sure. Floyd. So, you, you know, for um, for someone like myself, for many of us in the UK, it's, um, it's been a huge thing that has happened in the last year, um, but um, but it's still distant. It's still something that's happened mm-hmm. in, the, in the US. For you, it's it's even more close. What's been your take on that? And I'm, I'm particularly interested in what your take has been from a, a UK church perspective, sure. if, if you can offer that. And, and I mean, it's, it's a weird thing for a Malawian to be stuck in the story happening in, in St. Paul, Minneapolis, right? It's, yeah. yeah. And, and when I wrote that essay, I was writing it for a very, very small group of people. I think uh, the journal um, at CMS in Oxford, it has a very small readership. I, I, I didn't know that it's gonna go the way it's gone. I, and really, I, I think it resonates with a lot of people. Soon after it was published, I, I came across a professionally done Spanish translation of the essay. A few days later, a Portuguese professionally done translation of the essay. So it, it, it struck chord. And, and I thank God for that. Mm. But yeah. Uh, I spent seven years right in between Minneapolis and Paul, right on the border, uh, leading a church in St. Paul that had a lot of young people from, from Minneapolis. Uh, and, and so that story is very close to, to my life. I have friends who called right after it happened, have this has happened, um, and I know the places. So this has happened here, and, and we think it's going to be big. How can you help us process this? So I've worked with them over over the past few months. Um, now, the, the British Christian response to 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 the issues going in going on in America is, I find it puzzling somewhat, because as as British people. Uh, we tend to look at America and say, we don't have their problems. Um, Their the, the type of racism doesn't exist here uh, and, and all these things. But I, as far as I've experienced both cultures and I've lived in, in, in both countries quite extensively, it's not too different. We, 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 still, we also have to wrestle with the issues of segregation here especially in the church. In, in the US, we know for sure, research says that 92% of congregations are made up of people who are unrest. That, um, yeah, so white churches, black churches, Hispanic churches, that's it, they don't mix at all. Here in the UK, I can't really pinpoint the stats, but it's, it's somewhere around 80%. So it's not, it's not too different. We, we, still, we still have to, to resolve that. And, and, and the challenge is, on the one hand, we, we, we deflect the conversation and say, uh, it's an American problem. Right? We don't really have the same problems here. But when I talk to African church leaders here in the UK, each one of them will, will agree that they have to wrestle with issues of rest here in the UK, even today. Um, and so, Maybe more conversations, raise more awareness to, to help us actually begin to realize that actually it's, we're not too different. I had a student recently who, who wrote me an essay that deflected the whole thing and said uh, it, it happened in America because Americans kept slaves, right? They enslaved Africans and, and kept them on the plantations. But I said, 
yes, the, the, the Americans uh, enslaved Africans and kept them on the plantations, but they bought them from the British. <laughs> All right, and, and so you cannot really just say it's an American problem. Even I, th I think worse than the person who is keeping somebody enslaved is the person who sells the, the enslaved person to, to the other person, right? So it's not, it's not just an, an American story. British Christians have to wrestle with it, with it, with it as well. It, it's not, it, it's here. Um, now, I, I think we're beginning to talk more about it. We're beginning to become more aware of it. Um, the, the next question becomes then, how do we as communities begin to tear down the, the, the walls, the barriers that separate us? Right? Because we can have an abstract conversation about how, how bad racism is and, 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 and everything of that sort. But we have to get down to the bottom of, of the business and, and say, what are the wars that are tearing us apart mm. right now? What's keeping us separate today? And how do we take it down? Um, there will be issues of economics that, that are quite big. We see them, especially with the coronavirus situation, that um, most of the minorities have been affected probably more than white British folk. And, and this, this is scientifically proven research. We, we need we need to wrestle around that, and there are many other issues like like this that keep up, keep us separate. And and the invitation is how how do let's let's find let's seek ways together to break down the walls that separate us here in Britain as much as they need to do in America. Yeah, I was it, I was talking to a um member of our church uh, last night, actually. Uh, I was out walking the dogs and I was talking on the phone. And, um, you know, we, we, are, we are planning in May to take a few Sundays to talk again in an intentional way, you know, to teach into diversity, into race, into different heritages. Uh, you know, so we're, we're seeing May as an opportunity at the one year kind of anniversary of George Floyd's death as a church to Keep having the conversation and actually this sister was saying to me last night um yeah that's that's the problem is that you're seeing the george floyd moment almost as a kind of you know we've struggled that we've struggled with this our whole lives and just because it's come visible in the george floyd moment suddenly you're moving towards it and engaging and i think as a as a white pastor in quite a multicultural church it's a really you know, Harvey, you've used words like process, listen, um, engage, wrestle. So all of those words sound like an ongoing piece of work. And I think that's what I'm hearing. It's, that there's, it's not about a fix, is it? It's about a conversation. I think the challenge for us is that this problem has been there for 600 years generation after generation after generation after generation at the root of this is is the white supremacy ideologies that that made europeans um, colonize dominate the americas and and then parts of asia before they came to africa in the 1880s much much later this has been going on for centuries and and i hope that what we are doing in in these conversations today is to begin to undo the damage that's gone on for 600 years. Uh, it's going to take generations. It's not going to happen overnight. But we, we need to, to, to reverse this whole story that's gone on for 600 years that's put white people and, and Westerners at the center of history and, and, and begin to realize that God is a God of all people. Right? It's not uh, at, at the center of, of that ideology is the fact that God has chosen um, Europeans to Christianize and civilize the world. Uh, I, I mean, there are so many fault lines in that story. Uh, but but God God is God of all people, <laughs> and God does not colonize. God does not need colonialism to spread God's kingdom. If 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 colonialism was really important for God's kingdom. Christ wouldn't have been born in, in, in Palestine. 
he would have been born at the center of the empire in Rome and use imperial power to convert the world. But what does he do? Born in Bethlehem, grows up in Nazareth, far away from the centers of power, right? Uh, and, and, and of course, he's killed by a colonizing power. Uh, and I mean, his, his whole ministry is, is stretched around the period, uh, uh, an area of like 85 miles or so. He didn't even need, didn't need a passport, right? And, and, and so, and that's just to say, you know, and, and he understood his mission. He knew that what he was doing with these 12 men was to start a movement that would um, produce followers of Christ in every nation in the world. But he chose not to colonize. He chose to use humility as 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 the way forward, right? Um, and 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 so we 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 need to get back to that place where God is is God of all people, um, and and God hasn't set up one 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 group of people to dominate and civilize the world. Uh, we need to correct that story that God can use an African, he can use an Asian, he can use a Latin American. It, this is God's word and, 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 and everything in it belongs to him. There's some real, there's some real weight to what you're saying, Harvey, and the way you're saying it with the weight of scholarship and history, but also a pastor's, you know, you're not an abstract academic. Um, you know, and I think that's what I'm loving about this conversation is, you know, we're not just talking big picture stuff, but you're talking about people, and I really appreciate that. Um, can I just ask a slightly different question? The first time I came across your writing was a 2013 article in the Journal of Religious Leadership about contextual leadership. And uh, kind of, you, I... I did a lot of my leadership training in London uh, and it was all the kind of like American highballs, this is what a leader looks like stuff. And I always struggled with it. Um, but when I went to Istanbul, I found it was completely useless because different kinds of cultures need different kinds of leaders. So leadership is contextual. There's no, um, there's no such thing as like, this is the bag of leadership tools and you can go anywhere and use it. And so that's become a really important thing for me both in, in ministry and training leaders, but also in kind of writing and thinking. Um, can you just uh, help us understand in a communalistic culture like Malawi, like where you're from, what kind of leadership should Christian leadership look like then? In, in that article, you even talk about, so you talk about uh, Ubuntu, Ubuntu, and the, um, but you also talk about almost like a leader could be an invisible person as long as what's happening is the community is winning can you can you explain that a little bit yes uh, thank you for reminding me about that article i, I wrote that when i was uh, about when i was working on my my thesis uh, so i haven't read it in a long time thanks for mentioning it i read it yesterday <laughs> thank you I'll, I'll, I'll read it after this I, I, i'd like to see what i said in it but yeah i i, I just like you i I struggled with um, my studies were half 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 the courses in missions, half the courses in leadership, uh, and of course we did not have any an African leadership material to to read. Uh, everything we were reading was uh, mostly American, uh, and they're painting an image of leadership that uh, could not work in Malawi in in in, in many ways. So I, I, I decided to, to sit down and think back, uh, look at my community, uh, look, at, look at my father as a community leader and reflect on his, on his work and on, on, on his leadership style. And really um, for, for, for most of Af African cultures, um, communalism is everything. Everything hangs around the community. So, what what works in the community is what's done by the community right it's it's not just one person coming in and saying this is what i think we should do you you have to consult um and 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 
back then this worked really well uh, before before Western evangelicalism came in and, and reshaped the way we think about leadership. So what's happening in Africa in, in, in general at the moment is, is looking different from what a uh, well-contextualized understanding of Christian leadership would look like. And, and one of the issues that I raise in that article is really to say, if, if Christian leadership um, was based in an Omotu perspective, what would it look like? And Omotu really says, I am because we are. I am because I belong. Without the community around me, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. So what, what, when that happens in, 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 in the communities that I look at in Malawi, I realized that the power, the authority of leadership is based in relationships. It's not based in the, in the individual leader. It's based in the relationship between the leader and the community, right? That's, 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 why, that's where the power lies. Without the relationship, there is no authority. The leader cannot have any authority to, to lead a community. Now, um, that relationship is going to really depend on um, uh, 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 most, most, most African cultures, most Bantu cultures, uh, the people who believe in Ubuntu. Um, what makes a person a person is generosity, is the ability to, 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 to give, uh, to give of yourself. And, and really, um, in, in terms of leadership, it's to, to give away your sense of power, right? That then you can, you can engage with people as somebody without power, even though you know that you have the power. And, and, and the people can relate with you on a human basis uh, without really worrying about your power. And, and in that move of disempowering yourself so that you can empower the community, you, you, you shift the power into relationships. And, 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 and those relationships then become the places where um, people grow together and, and, and gifts and wisdom are passed on to, from generation to generation. Now, for that to happen, of course you have to, the, 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 the people in these relationships have to also know that this is what's happening in the relationship. This, that um, we are working together. Uh, and the leader is intentionally giving himself or herself away so that this community, so that we can move forward. And, 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 and I do think that in, in so many ways, of course, that's, that's the opposite of what we see in leadership theory um, in, in, in most Western literature. But really, I, I, I do feel that it's closer to what we see happening in the Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament around, around, around the ministry of Jesus himself, that the, the whole thing of Christ giving himself away. Uh, I, 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 I talk a lot about Philippians 2, where Christ um, does not find it something to grab, to be equal with God, right? But he chooses to empty himself so that he can come and, and belong here. And he doesn't just come to belong, uh, Paul says he, he comes in to take the form of a slave. And, and Paul is writing to, 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 to the Philippians, uh, who understand, right, being Greek culture, that for somebody to be a citizen, to be a member of the ecclesia, to be, to be in the city hall, discuss city matters, they needed to have a slave who put food on the table, that you can't be a citizen without a slave, right? Uh, and, and, and Christ comes and takes that place. He, he empties himself of, of, of power, of, of everything that he could so he can become a slave so that we then can belong to the table, can become citizens, right? And, 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 and I see that uh, when I look at, at, at older people doing uh, rural Christian leadership in, in, in many parts of Africa, that um, it, it doesn't look like it doesn't look as glamorous as we see it on TV. It's these people sacrificing their lives, their 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 energy, their power, so that the community can thrive and, and move forward. Uh, yeah, so that's 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 my take on that article. Harvey, I wonder if I can um, just switch tack slightly. Um, sure. Your your master's program. 
uh, NMA in African Christianity. There's, there's, there's a lot we can learn from our, our African Christian brothers and sisters. And there's a lot we can learn as well from uh, the, the kind of non-Western world. But in particular, you, your master's course is on, a, is on, is on African Christianity. Sure. Can, can you just talk us through what that is and, and why, it's, why you've chosen to do that here in the UK? And, and, and what, I guess, I guess what I'm asking, if I was a student on that course, what, what would I gain from that? And what would be an outcome um, in, in the world after I'd completed uh, such a course? Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I lead this program at Liverpool Hope University, a master's in African Christianity. I've done it. This is my third year now. Um, and a lot of my teaching uh, in the university has to do with African Christianity. So I talk about African Christianity almost every day. Mm -hmm. uh, students find it very helpful. Um, white British students will find it uh, quite informing. Uh, one of my students just this year uh, came to me and said, you know what, when we talk about African Christianity and we begin the story from Egypt and, and explore what happens in the 2000 years of history, it's like, I didn't understand that Egypt is in Africa. <laughs> right? wow. And so it's, it's, it's opening up eyes. People will know about Christianity in, in, in Egypt, in, in, in Alexandria, but really just drawing a particular focus, a particular attention to this reality that North Africa uh, plays a very important role in the story of Christianity right from the beginning. That it's not, it, when we talk about Christianity, African Christianity, most of the times people are thinking about what's happening now. But that for the first 600 years of Christianity, the hub of theological thinking was in Africa, either in Alexandria or in, or in Carthage. That when people talk about Tertullian as the father of Western theology, they are talking about an African, right? Who is writing, writing in Latin because he's writing in his native language, right? That, that, that Latin is spoken as a native language in North Africa at, at the time, first, 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 second century AD. That uh, when people read Augustine, they, many, many people don't even realize that he's an African, right? But, but he is an African doing his ministry in Hippo, uh, somewhere moving up and down between Hippo and Carthage, right? Uh, and, and the whole, the whole um, importance of Alexandria in this story, uh, the, 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 the very fact that the Nicene Creed is a response to theological issues happening in Africa. The conflict between a chap called Arias, who is condemned as a heretic after the conference, and, 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 uh, and Athanasius, the bishop of the church. Athanasius is trying to protect the church from Arias's um, heresy. And, and that's what causes the emperor to say, bring all the bishops together, let's meet in Nicaea and discuss these issues. People will read this and, and not think of Africa. Right? But, but these are African issues that, that really set us up to what we see today. We could talk about Nubian Christianity in Sudan that, that was a brilliant Christian kingdom for a thousand years between 500 and 1500 AD and then disappeared. Nobody would ever know about it until the 1960s when they are doing excavations to, 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 to build a dam or something like that. Uh, we could talk about Ethiopian Christianity that has existed from 4th century AD to now, and it's still 50 million strong going on. Very, very, very much Ethiopian in culture, in expression, but it's, it's been there. We could talk about the, 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 uh, the, 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 the missionary era of, of Europeans uh, working in Africa, and, and of course, then do the whole critique of uh, mission and colonialism and, and the ongoing Africanization of Christianity. And, and, and we do this because African Christianity, at the moment, of course, there are more Christians in Africa than Europe. Uh, that, that Christianity is beginning to look more and more African. Uh, I, I, I do tell of, of London today that on, on any given Sunday, a majority of people who go to church are black. Uh, and and I, I tell it as a joke that London Christianity is becoming black, 
-hmm. but but I think there's some there's some truth in that. Yeah, but you say you say in the book, thirteen percent of London's population is of African origin. Now, on a Sunday, sixty percent of people in church are uh, African origin in London. That's You're like, right. wow, that's incredible. Yeah, uh, and that's important for us to realize that uh, African Christianity is now beginning to become the most visible Christianity in the world, right? And and so, again, as I started uh, at the beginning, there are gifts that God has given to the African Church for for the rest of the world to receive. Uh, I joke with my students. Uh, one of my students. No, this was a, 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 a British missionary working in, in Uganda, sent a tweet a few weeks ago um, where he wondered about issues to do with spirits in, in African Christianity. That many, many times his theological students in Uganda raise issues about um, what, what most Africans understand as spirit spouses, that somebody can be married to a spirit, right? Uh, and, and of course, that has a lot of implications. But that is a particularly African theological issue that Western theology won't even know how to begin to answer it, right? But it's not, it's not just an African issue. It, it shows up in Latin America, where cultures are almost, almost just like African cultures, very much centered around the spirit world right uh, and parts of asia who deal with with life uh, with a focus on the spirit as well so th those are issues that probably the african church can wrestle with and try to figure out how do we do how do we talk about how do we talk about witchcraft right uh, if we are not talking about harry potter or macbeth for for african christians this is a big issue right yeah. and so those are aspects of what African Christians can bring to the table as, 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 as their gift toward Christianity. Uh, as I, I do think that, I mean, so 26, 27% of Christians in the world now live in Africa. It's expected that that will go up to 40, 45% in the next 30 years that by 2050, 45% um, of Christians in the world will live in Africa. That means um, African Christianity has to be ready to speak and share, uh, do their share of leadership on Christianity. So your answer to Gavin's question of why would someone study African Christianity is actually, why wouldn't you study Christianity? <laughs> and in a movement like ours, there ought, if we're investing in the future, there ought to be people that are studying African Christianity. The, the simple answer to, to Gavin's question is uh, what Andrew was, um, the, the professor of, of church history, um, our history of mission. He says, if you want to know anything about Christianity today, you have to learn about Africa. Yeah. And, and that's it, mm -hmm. that's, that's all. You can't really know anything about Christianity today without looking at what's happening in Africa. Absolutely amazing. So, so you, you, yeah. I mean, you, you, you move this around to, as you edit. I probably won't because it's beautiful. I probably won't edit anything, but um. Harvey, thank you so much. I think for people mm. that are listening, um, there's a few things you need to do. Um, one is get hold of the book Multicultural Kingdom, came out last year uh, by Harvey Quiani. It's a really easy read, but it, it's one of those reads that will shift your paradigm. Uh, and it's both big picture and also kind of hands-on practical. So I think that's number one, get hold of the book. Um, I think number two is uh, book into our conference in June, 25th, 26th of June, uh, the Unreached Conference, because Harvey's going to be there. He's going to be our guest. But that's going to be in the context of talking about mission, promoting some church planting teams, hearing stories from around the world. So one of the beautiful things about being online is that we can have brothers and sisters from all over uh, sharing their wisdom and their experience. So I feel like it's going to be a really rich time and Harvey's going to be the cherry on top of the little cake. 
Um, so I think there's that. And then I think thirdly, if you want to explore this further, then do check out this master's course, um, Liverpool Hope University uh, on African Christianity, uh, because I, I think it would be an incredible way to um, explore. Like Harvey says, if you want to understand Christianity, then you need to think about Africa. Um, so Harvey, thank you so much. This has been such a rich conversation in so many ways, in so many ways. And I can imagine uh, some of our listeners going back and kind of listening over and over again, pen in hand, capturing stuff. Um, I, it, you're a real gift and we've really appreciated this connection yeah. today. So thank you. Thanks, thank Harvey. you so much. It's been good. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and you can find more from Broadcast at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. We'll see you next time.